Did your favorite NFL team win the Super Bowl? No? Then the NFL Draft is your Super Bowl. I'm Danny Heifetz, and from now until the draft, we are turning our fantasy football show feed into the Ringer NFL Draft Show. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we talk about the top players and most important storylines for the NFL Draft. So join us on the Ringer NFL Draft Show. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Let's roll, baby. Welcome in. It is a Wednesday edition of New York, New York, with yours truly, J.J. Jastrzemski, rocking and rolling right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And we had a nice Tuesday of baseball. I can't say this enough. I can't stress this enough. The pitch clock is amazing. For those of you who don't like it, take a freaking hype. I'm not going to use foul language. I'm not in that sort of mood. But... The Met game today, Dre, it still was over in three hours. The Yankee game started at 6 o'clock. The Yankee game was basically over at halftime of the Hawk-Miami NBA playing game, for goodness sakes. Amazing. Great, high-quality pace of play, which is what baseball has needed for a long, long time. And this is where I want to start. I know Garrett Cole was sensational in his first two starts wearing a New York Yankee uniform in 2023. I would say that today, more so than start number one, more so than even the game in which he outdoed Aaron Nola on Wednesday afternoon, this game actually impressed me the most so far this season. What do I mean by that? Garrett Cole... Gives up two runs in the first inning. It's pretty obvious that unlike the game against San Francisco, unlike Wednesday's game against the Philadelphia Phillies, Garrett Cole's caliber and quality of stuff was not as good as it was in his first two outings. But he buckled down. He settled in. He limits the damage for the Cleveland Guardians. And after the first inning, throws up nothing but zeros. Maybe is isn't missing the bats the way he did in his first two games, but you get the result that you crave. You get the result that you desire. And now Garrett Cole, 3-0 to start the year. The numbers are eye-popping. And I- I'm going to keep pounding this until I'm blue in the face. I expect a monster, monster Cy Young caliber type of season from the Yankee A's. Why not? There's no longer the question of, oh, 
the pressure of being a Yankee ace, the pressure of being uh, a guy making a ton of money on the New York Yankees. It's been there, done that. He was able to overcome the adversity of the Red Sox playing game in the wild card to go and have a marvelous 2022 postseason. I think Garrett Cole, who's been a good Yankee, is about to take it to another level. And the first three starts of the year, there is a whole lot to like. And I might get myself in a little bit of trouble with this one, but you know what? I like to get myself in a little bit of trouble. When you think about the best pitcher in New York right now, and I know we haven't seen Justin Verlander yet, and I know we haven't seen Carlos Rodon yet, when you consider the age, the durability, the idea of being able to go deep into ball games on a consistent basis, that's the guy I want pitching for me over the course of 162 games without hesitation. Garrett Cole. I mean, compare what you saw from Cole tonight to what you even saw from Scherzer 48 hours ago. And look, I think Scherzer's going to be fine. I think Scherzer's going to be A-OK. The idea that Max Scherzer is going to be pounding his chest, and he wasn't. So I, I don't want to blame Scherzer on this. But the idea that anybody on Scherzer's behalf, I should rephrase, because I'm not trying to get on Max. Max was actually very self-critical of himself after the ball game. That, like, that start five shutout innings against the San Diego Padres is something you should feel good about. Please. Got through 96 pitches in five innings. And if that's the version of Max Scherzer that you're going to get for the New York Mets over the course of this year, the Mets are in big trouble. The good news is I expect bigger and better things out of Scherzer, but it doesn't ignore the fact that if I could have any of these New York pitchers right here and right now, starting for my team, taking the ball every fifth day, wearing either a Yankee or a Met uniform, I am putting Garrett Cole number one on that list. That's how much he has won me over with his postseason from last year and now his start to this year. And maybe it's the short hair. I don't know. But I can't get enough of what I've seen from Garrett Cole. And he's going to be in that mix for that AL Cy Young. There's not a doubt in my mind. Now, as far as the Yankees taking some of the pressure off of the Yankee ace, they got themselves a little revelation here in Mr. Cordero. Frenchy, Frenchy, whatever the hell we're calling him these days. All I know is he's hitting bombs, and he's hitting a whole lot of bombs for the New York Yankees. That is tremendous to see. Brian Cashman has always been, say what you want about him, very good about these sort of finds. You think about Mike Hockman a couple of years ago. Those under-the-radar type of players. Swisher, when they got him off the scrap heap from the Chicago White Sox. Cordero is an exit velo darling. So you know the nerds love him. He also was traded for Andrew Benintendi. The Royals and the Red Sox made that trade. Red Sox thought they were getting some sort of five-tool player, some sort of guy who hits the ball out of the ballpark and is a difference maker. He stunk there. All you need to know about Cordero, the guy had nine home runs in about 400 at-bats with the Red Sox. Something along the lines of that. He has three home runs in two weeks in a New York Yankee uniform. I am not ready to say that Frenchie Cordero is going to be last year's version of Matt Carpenter. I'm not ready to go there yet. But what he has done is he's kind of bought the Yankees some time as they wait on Harrison Bader. I know a lot of you aren't going to want to hear this. As they wait on Josh Donaldson. As they wait on some of their reinforcements from a pitching standpoint. Canely, Loisaga, Severino, Rodon, all to return for this team. Yankees have a chance, not being at full strength, to go and win four straight series on Wednesday. That's one way to start off the season. Two out of three against the Giants. Two out of three against the Phillies. Two out of three against the Orioles. We'll see if it's two out of three against Cleveland. And we'll see if Clark Schmidt can get his head out of his derriere because he has stunk and he is responsible for two of the Yankee losses so far this season. So we'll see if the Yankees can win a Clark Schmidt game. And one other note on the Yankees, LeMayu was hitting the ball great. And the biggest thing for the Yankees with LeMayu is they need him healthy at the end of the year. Whatever they need to do to kind of maintain this version of DJ LeMayu is super important for the Yankees. 
He's versatile. He's hitting the ball hard. The guy's a gamer. The guy's a winner. He provides something that they don't have a ton of throughout their lineup. Yankees have got to find a way to keep DJ LeMayu on the field. And so far, he's hitting the snot out of the ball. So that's nice to see. Now, we get to the Mets from Tuesday. And I know I kind of threw some shade at Max Scherzer's five shutout innings on Monday night and the Mets winning that game against the Padres. Good win. They came through with the bats. They got a little fortunate luck with a couple of those uh, swinging bunts and any actual bunt down that third base line. Maybe a, a, a bonus is in order for the groundskeeper. But the good vibes of Monday immediately disappeared on Tuesday right out of the gate in the first inning of the game. In the first inning of the game, the Mets had the bases loaded with nobody out, Alonzo and Canna coming up. You had a win on Monday night. You had a chance to parlay that momentum that much more. Minimum, you got to get a run there. And let's be honest, bases loaded, nobody out. You got to put a crooked number on the board. Alonzo strikes out. Mark Canna hit into the double play. And it felt like that kind of was the story of the game. That kind of was the telltale sign that kind of followed the Mets throughout this ballgame. It was missed opportunity after missed opportunity after missed opportunity. And they have not done a good job at all this year hitting with runners in scoring position. They were awful with runners in scoring position tonight going one of eight. And unfortunately, and I hate picking on the youngster because you can make the argument, is it the right time for Francisco Alvarez to be here? Is he ready to be a big leaguer? Like, those are questions that are open to interpretation. Those are questions that are clearly open to debate. But he is here. And if he's going to be here, he's got to play. That's been my feeling. Otherwise, he should not be in the big leagues. Him sitting on the bench six days a week for Tomas Dino to play, does the Mets absolutely no good. So I, I'm a-okay with Alvarez getting a chance here to show what he's got over these next couple of weeks. Well, Alvarez had two monster opportunities to come through. Once in the eighth inning, once in the ninth inning. And he did not deliver. You know, you thought maybe he could have a moment there in the ninth inning because you had that long delay after the kind of weird strikeout when he gets hit by the pitch. I don't know what... Listen, I was praising the pitch clock right out of the gate. I, I, I don't know how the umpires did end that conversation with Buck Showalter five minutes earlier. I mean, it was obvious. Mark had swung the bat. He, he, he swung. What are, we, what are we taking eight minutes for to look at that? If I'm Melvin, I'm losing my shit. I'm saying, this is throwing my guy Hater completely out of his element because he wasn't taking warm-up pitches, which, by the way, is on Josh Hader. That's his choice. He could say, hey, I need a couple after a lengthy delay. He denied. And it kind of seemed like, all right, he's out of sorts here. Maybe it's a chance for the Mets to go and get to Hader and have a moment early in this year. And Alvarez looked completely overmatched. You got to call it like it is. I have been banging the table for Francisco Alvarez to play for this Mets team. I want to still see him get opportunities. But that was not a good showing tonight. But he's not alone. Lindor came up in a big spot, didn't do the job. Alonzo came up in the first inning, didn't do the job. And that has kind of been a theme here for the Mets as they are 500 through their first handful of games. Got to get it going offensively. And where are the Mets going to find those answers if the bottom of the order continues to look the way that it looks right now? That's the question. Fam, so far so good. I've liked his approach. I've liked his at-bats. Intriguing. Escobar, on the other hand, has looked awful. Escobar is basically starting the year the way he started the year last year. And when you have a ballyhooed prospect that a lot of people want to see, even though Beatty's defense maybe isn't where it needs to be at third base, like that's always going to be a thing that you hear about. If Escobar is going through two for 20 stretches or he's hitting under 200, hey, whenever Brett Beatty's ready, we want to see him play. Right now, the Mets, and it's early. You don't want to get nuts here. They're going to get Verlander back. They're clearly going to add to the team. But right to me, they're a bachelor. Like when I look at their overall lineup and I see the bottom half of the order, 
They're a bat short. The owner felt that they were a bat short. That's why they tried to go and orchestrate that Carlos Correa move back in December. And you know why it didn't work out. I'm not getting on the Mets for not making the move, but you're feeling that, at least I think, early in this year. So it'll be McGill, who's been very good in his first two starts. Now, the question for McGill and for Senga is they're not facing the Marlins. So we'll see how McGill handles the San Diego Padres, where Xander Bogarts is hit like a man possessed. How did the Boston Red Sox let Xander Bogarts go? Can somebody explain that to me? How stupid are the Red Sox? They go and give Trevor Story all that money. The guy is basically made of glass. He can't play. He's missing the first couple of months. He might miss the whole damn year, for goodness sakes. And you got Xander Bogarts basically getting hit in every single game. Daddy Hacking, he had a monster bomb tonight against Santana. I mean, that basically put the game out of reach. But that, that ball still hasn't landed at City Field. Ball was absolutely wild. So, like, as I was watching Xander Bogarts do his thing for the San Diego Padres tonight, I'm sitting there saying to myself, thank God. I don't have to see this guy in a Boston Red Sox uniform any longer. Hallelujah for that. If only they would have followed suit with Devers. But you know what? You, you can't win them all. I do want to mention this because we talked about it um, doing my baseball show on SNY earlier today. And I know I'm probably going to sound like a hater. I don't care if I sound like a hater. I am not getting worked up over Tampa Bay winning their first, what, 11 games to start off the year. Commendable. Don't get me wrong. It's something we have not seen in the modern era to this extreme, where you're basically starting off a year, you know, you're, you're comparing the Rays to teams from the late 1800s, for goodness sakes. But why am I throwing a little cold water on it? Have you seen who Tampa Bay has played in this stretch? Do yourself a favor. And Tampa Bay's a good team. Tampa Bay's always, always, always a thorn in the New York Yankees side. So that that's not going to change. My feelings towards that was the case regardless. But here's who Tampa's beaten. Detroit, they stink. The Nationals, they stink. The A's, they stink. And they've just won two games against the Boston Red Sox, who to me are going to end up being a 500, sub-500 team. Let's, let's cool the Jets a little bit with Tampa. A little bit. They're a good team. They're going to win north of 90 games. They're going to probably find out what in the playoffs. But uh, let's cool the Jets a little. Before we hit the outstanding UConn head coach, Dan Hurley, and we'll uh, wrap this up. We're going to do a lot of calls on Thursday. I wanted to ask me anything. Knicks, Rangers, the football, the baseball, Vegas, golf, life. At 917-382-1151, we will have a monster Ask me anything right before the start of the playoffs, so I want to rip a lot of calls on the final night of the NHL regular season. Um, but it looks like a couple of things are in play here. Number one, I was talking to Begley earlier today. We love Ian. Ian is top-notch. To me, he is as well-connected with the Knicks as anybody because he's been there forever. He's got all the relationships. And I asked him, I said, you think, Randall is going to play game one. The sense I got from Begley, he's going to play in game one. My fear with Julius Randall, though, in this series, quality bigs for Cleveland, and you know it's going to be in the back of his mind. The postseason two years ago against Atlanta, which was a shit show. You know Randall as competitive, and as fiery as he is, he's mindful of that. I don't need Julius forcing the issue in this series. He's good enough to play. I'm going to trust him on that. He's an all-NBA guy. He's earned that right. Who am I to go and be a doctor and say, oh, you're not playing? Well, you are playing. But what I beg of Julius Randle, I beg, I beg, I beg of Julius Randle, please, you don't have to be the hero in every moment that you were on the court against this Cleveland team. Trust your teammates. And for the Knickerbockers, at the end of these games, if they're tight, the guy you want making the basketball decision is Jalen Brunson, the point guard that you brought in that has been, to me, the biggest game changer in the Knicks from 
this year to last year where they fell short of the postseason, let Brunson go and be the guy to go and make those decisions. That is what I beg of Julius Randle. Because we've seen it with Julius losing his temper at times. We've also seen the hero ball aspect that has been problematic from that standpoint. Okay. The other element that I'm watching as we start off this postseason, we're going to have a lot more on Thursday. Knicks, Cavaliers, the official pick. Nets, Sixers, the official pick. This is a phone little series for Mikael Bridges. Look, I don't think the Nets have a chance in hell winning this series. And I'm not trying to be a hater. I'm, I'm really not trying to be a jerk. I promise you, I'm not. They're like minus 800 Philadelphia to win the series, okay? The Nets have basically put this team together a month and a half ago. Expecting them to win a playoff series is absurd. But for Bridges, remember, he wanted to be a Sixer badly. He is a Philly guy. Went to Nova. Had great success at Nova. Now, he gets to play where he played his college ball Saturday at 1 o'clock. Right when I'm getting off that golf course. Hopefully, with not as many three putts as I had at Marine Park on Monday, might I add. But when I'm getting off that golf course on, uh, on Saturday, I'm very intrigued to see how Mikael Bridges is going to fare in his old college arena. He's going to get opportunities. He's played great. Let's call it like it is. Mikael Bridges, since putting on a Brooklyn Nets uniform, play like an all-star caliber player. He's getting looks and he's getting opportunities that he wasn't necessarily getting with Phoenix. When you had Devin Booker on that team, when you had Chris Paul on that team, he gets a chance to go and have himself, you know, a couple of moments in the postseason that can only up his bankroll, whether that is with Brooklyn as a, a big part of their rebuild and where they're moving forward as an organization or playing somewhere else. It's amazing. Those Nova guys from Jay Wright's team have really turned into good NBA players. You know how I feel about Brunson. Bridges is fantastic. Josh Hart is the perfect guy to be coming off the bench for a winning team. And what a difference he has made in New York Knickerbockers. Well, you, you see why Jay Wright won two national championships because of guys like that. And that's a nice little segue because... We're going to have Dan Hurley, the national champion coach of the UConn Huskies. And it's amazing. Normally, a UConn title would make me sick to my stomach, but I'm not going to lie. I got a soft spot for coach. I like coach. He's been good to me. He's a good guy. It's a great story. So when I ended up winning, I was like, you know what? Good for Coach Hurley. We go way back. I mean, way back. I did Midnight Madness for them. I was like 23. I mean, I was right out of college. It was right after I won the uh, the radio contest at FAN at the time. And like, you know, that could have been a situation where the coach couldn't, have, you know, he could have been a total, total schmuck. Let's be honest. 22-year-old kid. Who the hell are you? Why are you doing my midnight madness? Wasn't like that at all. It's great. Gave me access from the get-go. And he was there, I think, like two years at Wagner. Nobody wins at Wagner. He had Wagner going into Pittsburgh, beating Pittsburgh when they were nationally ranked. And then, you know, the rest is kind of history. Rhode Island goes to the NCAA tournament, beats Trey Young, and now has added to the UConn legacy where they're rolling in the Big East. My alma mater, I want to mention this too. Most of you don't care about this. My alma mater is so freaking lost on what they are doing with Adam Weitzman and what they are doing with NIL. I don't know why there is this fracture with their number one donor. You need NIL in college now. This goes for any freaking program. I don't care who you are. You need it. Or you are not going to be able to get the best of the best of the best. And I saw that story today. It pissed me off. That is unacceptable from Syracuse University. I don't know if that's a chancellor. I don't know if that's Wild Act, the athletic director. Pathetic. Get with the freaking times or you're going to be left in the cold. Like Syracuse has been three of the last four years in the NCAA tournament, left in the cold. I can't handle that. So I, I as someone who is a Syracuse alum, who sees something like that, is going to speak out on it. That's what needs to be done. Remember, we got a big Ask Me Anything coming up on Thursday. Love that I'm trying to get my day straight. They're kind of all over the place right now. But on Thursday, we will have a monster Ask Me Anything 
Knicks, Nets, Yankees, Mets. Football, you want to weigh in on that. The hockey, you want to weigh in on that. And then we could get personal, too. Vegas, golf. What I'm watching, I'm watching a lot these days, by the way. I'm watching a lot. I got to catch up on succession. I avoided all the spoilers, by the way. I'm on the second episode right now. You people who tweet these spoilers, I hate you. I freaking hate all of you. Like, keep it to yourself. Keep it in your damn group chats. These people, oh, uh, I got I to gotta tweet out about what happened on the TV show. It's not a sporting event. There, there, there's no reason that, like, uh, imagine me, Sopranos. Oh, my God, what happened? Shut up. I see this shit. It drives me insane. Now, listen, I can't watch TV shows as scheduled. I'm too busy. I'm not going to lie. We do our show on Sunday. I'm doing television on Sunday. You know, I got to have some family time on Sunday. Like, I, I, I don't have time to watch the show when it airs live. And guess what? I'm not going to have time to watch any of these shows because I'm going to have no life now for the next eight weeks, which is great. Yankees, Mets, Knicks, Nets, Rangers, Devils, the whole freaking deal. So do me a favor. If you are one of the 46,000 that follow me, I shouldn't even say that. That was a little bit of a humble brag, but forget about that. If you are one of the 2,000 I follow, that would have been a better way to phrase it. I gave you way too much, a little bit of a shameless plug on my Twitter account. But for those that I follow, please text me in a day or two. I'd love to talk about these shows. Do not spoil them for me. Do not spoil Ted Lasso. Do not spoil Succession. Do not spoil them. I want to enjoy them. Please. I beg. I beg. All right, let's take one quick call, and then we'll hear from Coach Hurley. What's up, JJ? Tom from Massapequa. It's not a sports call, but I don't know if you've been watching Season 4 of Succession yet. But if you've been keeping up, last episode this Sunday was fucking insane. And... I'm just hyped up. I know we can't do any spoilers, but this is the best season yet, probably. And I'd like to just hear uh, if you're watching. All right. Tom, I appreciate what you just did there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And by the way, it just goes to show you, I have no idea what the calls are going to be because I went on this unprompted, unprovoked, rant on television etiquette. And I appreciate that my guy, Tommy Massapequa, asked me, am I in the season four? Am I caught up? You could say the episode's insane. That's that's great. Don't give me the nuts and freaking bolts on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok, and any of that stuff you use. Don't do it. Let it freaking marinate at least a week. Please. So thank you, Tom. I commend you. And for those of you who are succession fans, I hope that by the time we have a conversation on Thursday night, I will be caught up and I see what is apparently the most insane episode in the history of the show. Um, Stefan, would you agree? You're a big succession guy. You went to the premiere. You were, uh, you know, hobnobbing with all the elites and Cousin Greg and whatnot. Would you say this has been the best start to a succession that you can remember? Um, I don't know if I would go that far as this being the best succession uh, start, but I will say this this last episode, man, it, it, it threw you for a loop, bro. Threw me for a loop. I can't lie. This last episode threw me for a loop, Jay. Well, listen, I am looking forward to having a very spirited conversation with you after, of course, I watch the episode. Please. And I don't have to worry about Stefan with this because he's a man of honor. Some of you out there, I'm not so sure if you're men and women of honor. No spoilers. That's it. No spoilers, please. For my health, my well-being. All right. I'm fired up about this. The coach of the national champion, UConn Huskies, and my pal from the Wagner College days, Dan Hurley, is up next. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A. 
S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Let's welcome in a guy I know very well. I saw him in his early days at Wagner College. I was like a 23, young, like fresh-faced broadcaster. And I saw this guy work his way up through the coaching ranks. And now the national champion, coach of the UConn Huskies, Dan Hurley. Dan, that sounds great, man. How are you, bro? Oh, man. I tell you what, it's uh, like an uh, unfathomable man to have uh, you know, thought you could get to this point. 15 years ago, 18 years ago, feels unbelievable. Uh, it's been a blur, man. Really, since Vegas, it's been a blur. Well, it's been fun to watch, Coach. And I know you're a historian of the sport, and I know you appreciate what teams that your program have done and what teams throughout the country have done. You know, we were on the red eye, actually, coming back from Vegas while you guys are at the Final Four, and we were having this convo. You guys had one of the most dominant runs that I think I've ever seen in an NCAA tournament, like coach, I kept waiting for you guys to have like that ultimate white knuckler. And don't get me wrong. Miami pushed you to some degree. San Diego state made their run in the second half, but like coach, you didn't have that game. That was like, you know, 73, 71, a minute to go. And everybody's on pins and needles. Like you look back on it now. Does it like hit home to you? Like how dominant you guys were throughout the month of March? <laughs> yeah, was, uh, we we would say that. Like I think um, after the games or even in the lead up, because every coach has always said like you got to survive that one game, you know, that one kind of game where you know you've got to make a shot or block a shot or make a free throw uh, to keep going. But I think when you really looked at it, you know, this team throughout November, December you know, January, February, March, and into, into early April, we, we were m- minus January. We were, I think, clearly analytically the best team in the country. And, um, you know, we, we were that rare team that played like top five offense, top five defense. We were one of the best rebounding teams. Um, and we played harder than anyone that we played against for the most part. So you mentioned the nerds that I reference all the time, coach, those Ken Palm <laughs> numbers. Like it's probably crazy thinking about like when you started at Wagner to then going to Rhode Island. And now of course you're at UConn and like, it's becoming like more a part of like the vernacular, like 10, 15 years ago. I'm like, Ken, what, what's this, this <laughs> Ken Palm stuff now? Like I'm filling out a bracket, like, man, you gotta be top 10. You gotta be top 10 <laughs> offensive defense for me to like you. You guys were the darlings of the nerds all year. You got off to the great non-conference start. And then the Big East happens. Listen, you know it. It's war. Like, it's a tough conference. You guys got out of the gate a little slow compared to your non-conference. When did it click, Coach, for you? Where you're around these guys every day and you're like, not only do I have a team that's going to play well in this league, I have a team that's capable of winning the whole thing. Did you ever have, like, that conversation with yourself? Or not really? I would say November, really. Um just the PKI, you know, the Alabama game, the Iowa State games, those two, just the 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 quality that we played at, and then um, even like the we played Oklahoma State at home. Back then, when they had Avery Anderson, they were a legitimate NCAA tournament team, and like probably like an eight nine seed. And it was like first game back after West Coast trip versus a very excellent defensive team and athletic, and you know, and, and we and we played at a high level and. Um, I would say like during that November, December, we knew, 
we got into January. Um, you know, the Big East happened. Uh, I think part of it was scheduling. The league didn't do us any favors. They, the league hasn't made it easy on us since we've returned. Uh, and I think they, they gave us three of the top four teams in the league in a stretch of on the road, you know, within a two-week stretch, like at Xavier, at Providence, at Marquette, with Creighton at home. And it was just, it was easy to get into a funk and get into a bad way. Uh, we lost our identity a little bit. We stopped guarding. Um, and then, you know, obviously I had a situation with the officials where, you know, I was caught on TV uh, referencing one of them in a not so great way. And I think both sides, both the officials and myself, had a very difficult time working together for a two-week stretch. And I think that impacted the way that we played. Um, so it wasn't just one thing. It was multiple things. But then you come and you find your way to get hot at the right time. You guys are dominant. And you end up going and winning the whole damn thing, Coach. So. You know, whatever that adversity might have been, yeah. your team clearly was able to galvanize itself to get to that next level. You mentioned the league, though. You gave this quote a couple of years ago, and I saw it in uh, Brazilers' piece that came out after you guys won the championship. I think you guys were at Nova. Nova, obviously, was a powerhouse with Jay. And you're like, you better get us now. You better get us now because we're coming. And <laughs> sure enough, you know, that quote now, Coach, can be like, you could put it all over UConn. You know, it could be in like homes in Hartford or New York City or whatever the case may be. You know, you yeah. shot your shot. You know, yeah. you pulled your Joe Namath. Um, <laughs> did, how much did the Big East, you think, in the return to that league help you, Coach, get the program back to the heights that UConn is used to? Yeah, I think um, I think we helped each other. You know, we were, I think, well on our way, um, you know, with recruiting book night. You know, and, and R.J. Cole and Tyrese Smart and a couple of NBA draft picks committed to UConn with no idea that we were ever going back to the Big East. So I think that, you know, the brand could have gotten us to a pretty good level, you know, without the Big East. Obviously, the partnership between UConn and the Big East is perfect. Um, it's a perfect marriage. Um, so I think we've helped each other. We, we just brought the Big East to national championship. Uh, that that's pretty good. Um, and the Big East has certainly helped us, you know, maybe take recruiting up to a little bit higher of a level and it's engaged our fan base even greater when it's a big fan base. Um, yeah. And then that video, I think at that time, it was like my first year one, you know, we played Villanova at the garden and, you know, they smoked us. I mean, we got, it was bad. It was right before Christmas and ruined Christmas. We lost by 25 and, um, you know, then that next year we went on the road and we still weren't up to in terms of the talent base and the culture. We weren't all the way there fully formed yet. But that following year, we went and played them on the road in front of, you know, 19,000 and had a shot to beat them down the stretch. Like it was a one possession game. And, and, uh, and I knew we had like big talent coming. So, and I knew like our, our program needed me to say something. I mean, we were, you know, we weren't in a great place and somebody needed to say something publicly. So I got into that press conference and I was like, you know what? It's coming. You know, like these people, yeah, they better get us, <laughs> better get us now because when we're fully loaded with the roster and when we're ready to go, we're, we're going to, you know, we're going to start whooping people. Coach, I give you credit, man, because you got to the tournament, you were high seed, you don't have the success and you said, hey, we got to get more shooting. Mm -hmm. A lot of coaches are going to say, hey, I had a team. They were top 15 in the country. We don't need to make any changes. What we're doing here is A-OK. -okay. What was like that moment for you where you said, was it like one particular loss in the tournament? Or was it just like watching film over the course of a season where you say, hey, you know, college basketball is changing. Yeah. I got to tweak some things a little bit here, a little bit there. And then all of a sudden you have great results. What led to that change for you? I mean, I've always jumped in a defensive guy and a guy whose teams played so hard. And, you know, we, we've had some, I've had some tremendous guards over the years, but I just think uh, just roster construction in terms of uh, having enough depth and having enough offense, uh, you know, shooting, but also people that can, can facilitate, you know, you know, like a front court that can impact the game. I think a lot of people, 
have gone away from featuring their front court and have gone guard crazy and they don't throw the ball to their bigs and we throw the ball to our bigs. Um, we're not just strictly ball screen reliant like a lot of people are. I think, you know, losing last year to, to New Mexico State and, and just not not having a team that could go on runs and go on spurts because we just didn't have enough offensive firepower. Um, you know, and, and I think coming out of this year, I think that we there's a lot of things that we're going to try to replicate, but there's some places that we also still need to get better um, where, where we could improve on this, on this year's team. This is uh, what I love about you, Coach. You know, I text you. I text you right after the championship, and you're fired up. Obviously, you're excited, but you're not stopping, man. Like you know, like a lot of people who win a championship, they'd be like, "All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a little time." You're like, "No, no, 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 no. I'm at UConn now. I'm not here to just win one. I'm back after it. I'm recruiting. It's this. It's that. Like, <laughs> and that's what I respect so much about you, dude. And that's how you were at Wagner. That's how you were at Rhode Island. Like. You love this, man. You're a basketball lifer. You you can't stop, man. I love it. Yeah, it's addiction. I mean, it's like you're it's 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 addiction. It's a big part of your identity. This job won't let you stop either. I mean, I would love to be somewhere on an island right now, like for like three days, decompressing, and then come back and fully charged and ready to go. But this job, it's it's truly become twelve months a year, and the way that this thing is structured with with the portal and the NIL and, and, and my turning pro and signing with an agent and my testing the waters and staying with eligibility. You know, you don't really have a choice if you want to try to stay on top and put yourself in a position where you could compete for big things every year. And it is, I mean, it's, I got, I'm a worker. I mean, I'm a basketball lifer and I'm a worker. So, uh, you know, this is right where I want to be, but I do need a break in May. Well, I hope you're getting that. Um, who is the coolest person? And I know, listen, you come from a basketball family, your father, your brother, like that's that's royalty in and of itself. But like, who was the moment, like Dan Hurley, who is this like cool comp collector guy, you get a call or a text from somebody after the championship where you're like, holy shit, I just heard from this person. Was there somebody? Yeah, it was a couple of them, I'll say. Uh... It was Biden, you know, President Biden. You're from the president, not too shabby, coach. But I was on the call. I was on a recruiting call and um, it was just a 202 number. So I didn't even um, rec. It doesn't say like Joe Biden, President Joe Biden. So it went to voicemail. So I got this voicemail from the president, which is cool. Um, like Mayor of Jersey City, Governor of Jersey, um, Governor Murphy, Mayor of Jersey City, Philip. Uh, Brad Steve, like Billy Donovan, somebody I looked up to as a coach. Like that was the him and it, Tom Izzo were probably the coaches that I wanted to be in terms of like style of play and personality wise. That's who I always wanted to be like, uh, you know, beyond my dad's influence. Um, and then uh, like Brad Stevens, I like, I've always thought Brad Stevens is like one of the best pure coaches. Or what, and he, but he texts me during the year a couple different times, like even during tough times. Where he just like he texts me like I really love your team, man. Like uh, I believe in you in, in your team. So those are probably a couple. Coach, final one. If I would have told you back when I was like this young, like fresh faced broadcaster, like who the hell is this loud New York kid from Staten Island? That yeah. you'd be at Wagner College in 2011, and yet we're here in 2023, and Dan Hurley is the head coach of a national champion. If I would have told you that, knowing, like I got like insider info and I said that to you, would you have believed it right out of the gate? Probably not that. I mean, I, I, I believed, I, I believe I'm a, I believed I had the potential to develop into a, a, a high level coach, but this, just to it, how hard it is to win that stuff like tournament, right? I mean, it's like, it's a hard tournament to win. There's not many people, you know, in coaching right now that have won it. It's just, uh, so yeah, I mean, I thought I could be a high level coach, John, because I got the work ethic, I got pedigree, I, I, I'm all about my players. I mean, I'm not going to get lazy on this job for a second, but I, and I'm only going to get better. But I, I, to win a national championship, you could predict that, man. It's the hardest thing to win. And you got one before Burrow, by the way. That would have <laughs> been a good bet, you know. Yeah. Who gets one first, Dan Hurley or Joe Burrow? Cool. You beat your boy Burrow. That you know what? I'll say that Zach Taylor. Uh, uh, Sent me like I uh, got like an autographed jersey and an autographed ball. Zach Taylor in my hotel at Houston. 
uh, right before the, the Miami game. It got, so that was pretty cool. He sent me a letter with his number. So that was pretty cool. I got like a care package from the Bengals going into, going into the final four. So that was pretty cool. Coach, by the way, is a massive Cincinnati Bengals fan. So he's got one of my favorite players in Joe Burrow. You got an easy team to like, Coach. Not when you're going up against my Dolphins, but in general, you got an easy team to like. So No, we're, we're the class. Of the, uh, we're, we're, we're now like, uh, yeah, we're big. I got to do some draft things too now. Hopefully I'll get some time to like look and see. We, we got some hole. We got some hole at right tackle. Like, Look at you. You're trying to fill your UConn team and you're trying to fill the Bengals at the same time. I mean, who's by the way, before we say goodbye, can the borough president of Staten Island get you like your pizza of choice, like shipped up to stores? Like, I feel like the, the people of Staten Island, uh, Joe and Pats, if you're out there listening, the national champion wants some pizza. So let's get him some pizza, please. Okay. Yes, because I got my place right here. I got the, uh, shit, I'm going, I'm, I'm uh, going, I'm, I'm thinking of like New Haven. Uh, Frank Peppies. I got there Frank you go. Peppies. I hear but that's I'm good not, stuff. I've not been yet, coach. Crust, so when I come I like, up for a road trip next year, you got to tell me where to go. Okay. I got you, but I want the thin crust. I like the, the thin crust too. It's hard to get that up here. You can't get it. Dan Hurley, national champion. That sounds cool, bro. Listen, I know you're back to recruiting, hopefully like a Jersey Shore vacation or an island vacation at, at some point in May. You deserve May, it? May and a little bit of August. That's it. That's it though. That's okay. it. That's it. No days off. All right, coach. Thanks for a few minutes. Later, John. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Pretty wild that, you know, you win the national championship and two days later, there's, there's no no rest for the Leary in college basketball. And that's what Hurley texted me last week. He's like, man, I'm recruiting. I'm doing this. I'm doing NIL. It doesn't end for these guys. You want to be in the game. You want to be at the top of your game. That's what you got to be doing. Um, right now, as we tape this, the Lakers are down 15 to the Timberwolves. I, I said on East Coast Bias, a Miami Laker money line parlay was the ultimate sucker play. Could not have been a more sucker play. So now the Lakers are going to have to win if it holds. We'll see if they end up coming back. Uh, what a pathetic performance by Miami. And I loved Atlanta today. Miami had no right being five-point favorites over anybody with the way they've played this year. In a playoff game? No, thank you. I grabbed those five with Atlanta. I didn't think twice. Now, as far as the games tomorrow, I like New Orleans. I just think it's going to be a little overwhelming, no pun intended, for the Oklahoma City Thunder. New Orleans experienced playing in this play-in. Been there, done that. I think they win comfortably. And I think Chicago is going to be live against Toronto. I know it's public. I know everybody in the world is on Chicago with the way they finished up the year. A little revenge game angle for DeMar DeRozan in the play-in. I will be on Chicago and New Orleans in both playing games tomorrow in the NBA. and. In case you're wondering about an opening line, there is one for Brooklyn and Philadelphia, and there is one for the Knicks and the Cavaliers. Knicks, six-point dogs in Cleveland. Brooklyn, eight-and-a-half-point dogs in Philly. Sacramento, one-and-a-half-point favorite against the Warriors. I'm looking forward to that game Saturday night. That's going to be a fun environment. They haven't had a playoff game there in forever. I am very intrigued to see Sacramento throughout this NBA postseason. And I'm seeing Boston favored by seven and a half against the Atlanta Hawks. So a lot of NBA lines coming out as the postseason field officially finalizes. Jeff Money, you will finalize what we are doing here on a Wednesday show. The floor is yours, sir. What do we got? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper pictures before Wednesday the 12th. I got four games. We got two NBA games and two uh, Major League Baseball that started out in the NBA, the elimination games, the playing games. Money play, I'm going to go with the Thunder, Oklahoma City Thunder, plus the five and a half over the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm going to take the Toronto Raptors minus the five over the Chicago Bulls. In baseball afternoon play, I'm going to take the New York Mets minus the 105 over the San Diego Padres. And I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Rays minus the 135 over the Boston Red Sox. Again, four plays. NBA money play, we're going to go with the Thunder plus the five and a half. Going to go with the Raptors minus the five. 
in Major League Baseball, I'm going to take the New York Mets minus the 105 and the Tampa Bay Rays minus the 135. And everyone can follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go, Jeff Money. We are heads up in both NBA games. You're on with Toronto. I'm rolling with Chicago. You're on with OKC, who's one of the best teams against the spread all year. And I will be rolling with the New Orleans Pelicans. I, I do like your Met play tomorrow. McGill on the mound against Snell. Line moving against the Padres. I like that logic. So I'll give you a, uh, an A there for the Met grade. And listen, if you've been betting Tampa Bay every single day, you've been making money. Sooner or later, this win streak's got to come to an end, though. I, I feel like I actually might bet the Red Sox tomorrow with Sale on the mound because Tampa's got to lose eventually, right? Got to lose eventually. Crazy start to the year, but again, some perspective. Look at their ledger and who they've played to start off this year. And five-minute team that's finishing over 500. It's impressive. They're a good team, but perspective. We like that around here. We will have a loaded Thursday pod. We're working on a big Nick spot right before the Nick Cavalier series. Uh, remember, we'll have an Ask Me Anything, sports, non-sports, you name it. For the voicemail line at 917-382-1151. I expect them to get wacky. I hope they're off the beaten path. Uh, we'll have a ton of fun there. Good job by Stefan. I want to thank Coach Dan Hurley for stopping by. We will chat to everybody Thursday night after the Yankees and the Minnesota Twins. JJ, signing off. Enjoy your Wednesday. Be good, everybody. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.